0: Hello, Rebels. You are listening to a free audio-only recording of my show, The Ezra LeVant Show. Uh, today, we talk about three news stories in a row. Um, all that came out today, one from the Toronto Star, one from CTV, and uh, I'm trying to remember where the third one came from. I saw it out there. Um, all of them with bad news about migration. I'm surprised to see this because, of course, the mainstream media likes to really downplay bad news, Uh, They call it racist or homophobic. One of the story was about Yazidi women getting threats from ISIS terrorists right here in Canada. Another was how we have almost 12,000 people in the security clearance line. They're allowed in the country. Their security clearance is not done. And then there's a third story. And you'll have to listen yourself in the moments ahead if you like listening to podcasts then I think you'd love to watch it as a video. But, you know, in order to watch, you have to sign up to be subscribed to our premium content. That's what we call our long-format TV-style shows at The Rebel. Subscribers get access to watching my daily show as well as great other TV-style shows from my friends David Menzies and Sheila Gunn-Reed. It's only 8 bucks a month. It's a subscriber. You can subscribe annually and get two months free. And just for podcast listeners, you can save an extra 10% on a new premium membership by using the coupon code PODCAST. When you subscribe, so just go to the rebel.media slash shows to become a member and please leave a five-star review on this podcast and subscribe in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Those reviews are a great way to support the rebel without spending a dime. And now enjoy this free audio only version of my show tonight, three news stories, three new disasters with Justin Trudeau's mass migration policy. It's February 5th and this is the Ezra Levant show. Why should others go to jail why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why i is it is because it's my bloody right to do so. Here is a terrifying story. It's heartbreaking, it's repulsive, it's sad, it's infuriating. Former ISIS sex slaves sheltered in Canada threatened with phone calls, texts is on the CTV website. So to be clear, uh, these women are, are, are in Canada now. They're getting those threats now in Canada. They're not back in Syria or Iraq. Let me read a little bit of the story. Former ISIS sex slaves who were given sanctuary in Canada are again living in fear after being bombarded by voicemails and texts threatening rape and murder. Now I'm going to read a little bit more from the CTV story and I give them credit for reporting it. These days, most mainstream media go out of their way to unreport or anti-report any bad news about Muslim terrorists. Uh, Let me read a bit. Five women and one 14-year-old girl have filed reports with York Regional Police. The victims are all Yazidis who survived an ISIS-led genocide in Iraq in 2014. Now just to remind you, Yazidi... That's the name of their religion. It's an ancient religion. It's a very, very small in number. They pretty much all live in Syria and Iraq. Uh, They were amongst the first to be targeted by ISIS terrorists because they're not Muslim. And so ISIS terrorists have their way with them. Uh, And in particular, uh, Yazidi women, some of them often uh, have blue eyes. And so they were prized by ISIS terrorists as rape slaves. Now I'm sorry to use those words rape slaves, but that's what it is. that's what it's historically being called. I showed you this video a couple of years ago of ISIS terrorists excited about an auction, a slave auction where Yazidi women were about to be sold to the highest bidder for rape slavery. This was officially approved by the ISIS government and their commanders and their theocratic bosses. It was one of the ways to reward Muslim terrorists. Videos like this weren't just to brag and to intimidate infidels. It was to recruit losers from around the world, basically saying, if you can't get a girlfriend, if you can't get a date, come to Syria and Iraq, fight with ISIS, and we will give you a rape slave and you will have our official Islamic blessing. We'll give you a fatwa to bless you that you're actually serving God by raping these infidels. I'm sorry to talk like this but surely we must talk about it. Here's that slave auction video. ديبي وحدة. الله
1: <سؤال>
0: يوم سوق
1: الصباح. <سؤال> (laughs)
0: like they're discussing animals or something now i have met some of these escaped Yazidi rape slaves i have met them and spoken with them through an interpreter some of these women escaped to germany and lived at a refugee integration center in germany but then they were attacked again in Germany in the refugee absorption center by other refugees who were actually ISIS members themselves. So they had to escape within Germany and they fled to this safe house that I visited run by that nun there on the left, a Sister Hatun is her name, and you can see the Yazidi woman in the middle there, and Sister Hatun was doing the translation, I spoke with this group of women. One of the women I met, not this woman, but another woman that I met at this house, said she was raped so many times by different Muslim terrorists that she lost track, she lost count after being raped 240 times. Now I'm sorry to tell you these words, I'm sorry to talk this way, You can imagine how shocking it was to hear this testimony from a person. I I almost refused to believe it. I didn't want to believe it. I wanted to call them liars. I had this instinct within me to say, no, stop lying to me, because the mind cannot comprehend such evil. Surely it can't be true. Surely what they described cannot be true. But it is true. It is true. And if they lived that evil, uh, the least we can do is to document it, to talk about it, to remember it, even, even if we don't actually do something about it. Surely we shouldn't turn away from the evil that they suffered. But by the way, the, they, they rape the Yazidi women, but they kill the Yazidi men. Obviously, they have no use for them. I, I think I showed you this clip the other day. I, when I was in Germany, I bumped into a Yazidi man in the, the city of Cologne, Germany, just on the street, uh, who told me that if the other Muslim men on that very street knew who he really was, because he looked just like the rest of them, that he would be in danger in Germany. Remember this? We got there.
1: Sure. We can't say, we're Es is ist ganz schlimm, wenn wir sagen wir, wir sind Yazidis. Wenn eine Islamische hört, sagen wir, wir sind Yazidis, die sagen, sie sind Kaffer, wir sind ganz, ganz schlimm. Ja. Yeah, Deswegen gibt hier auch viele Muslime wie Kanisov.
0: Kaffer ist ein Infidel. So, they would be attacked in Germany if the Muslims on that street knew they weren't Muslim. So, that's a reminder about Yazidis and who they are. Back to the CTV story. I'll read a little more. They have handed over to police recordings of the phone calls and screen grabs of the texts, which reference the Islamic state and include pictures of beheadings and armed jihadis. W5 has listened to the phone calls in one, a man laughs as he says in Arabic, I am the man who effed you, I am your rapist. A second caller denounces Yazidis as devil worshippers, And a third caller makes a graphic reference to rape. The callers appear to have Iraqi, North African, and Gulf state accents. York Regional Police have assembled a team to try to track where the calls are originating. I'm curious how these ISIS terrorists would even be able to find these women in Canada and find their contact info, their phone numbers. Like, I, 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 mean, I don't know where these latest threats came from, but according to this story, last year by our friend Barbara Kaye, writing in the National Post, who met with some of these Yazidi women now in Canada. So just like I met with the Yazidis in in Germany, Barbara met last year with the Yazidis in Canada, and they say that ISIS terrorists, their rapists, are here in Canada too. They were brought in to Canada by Justin Trudeau. Uh, They're not just right here in Canada somewhere, they're literally in the same town as the women they raped. One of them spotted one of them on the street. Let me quote, I'm gonna quote the story from Barbara Kaye. She has been living in London, Ontario for eight months. Recently on a bus, she recognized X, the slave market boss who had owned her and used her for months. They got off at the same stop. X saw her, covered his face and ran off. So we actually knew a year ago, that's, that's when Barbara's story ran, that ISIS terrorists who kept rape slaves, who sold rape slaves, those are war crimes, by the way. They were walking our streets harassing and terrifying their former victims, it it, it sounds like. But they're here in Canada in any event. That's like after the Second World War when Nazi concentration camp guards, I don't know, fled or escaped in disguise or something, from Germany to Argentina. Some even came here to Canada after the war. We're we're living in a disguise, hiding from justice, (coughs) hiding their past. Except Argentina, that's one thing. Canada, we're we're not supposed to be a banana republic. We're supposed to be a nation of the rule of law. And our government is supposed to keep us safe. And those ISIS rape slavers are here in Canada? We knew this a year ago, by the way. But who's kidding whom? Our our prime minister gives public apologies to terrorists like Omar Khadr. And Trudeau has given at least three other Muslim terrorists or accused terrorists or people arrested on suspicion of terrorism. He's given them each $10 million. So that's $40 million dollars to terrorists or accused terrorists or people arrested on suspicion of terror, add in Mayher Arar, you're up to $50 million now. But remember, Trudeau says our Canadian military veterans, you know, they're just simply asking for more than he can give, so he'll fight them in court forever.
1: First of all, uh, why are we still uh, fighting against certain uh, veterans groups in court? Uh, Because uh, they're asking for more than we are able to give right now.
0: So that's story number one, ISIS terrorists still terrifying ISIS victims right here in Canada. You know, I was, I was in Germany visiting those Yazidi refugees. I think that was three years ago now. I thought, well, that's, that's Germany. It's far away. No, no, now that same dystopian horror story has come here to Canada. Justin Trudeau has brought it here. Justin Trudeau has brought 50,000 Syrians here, unvetted from the world's worst rape culture. He brought that here. I, are you surprised? The one of Trudeau's Syrians is charged with the rape and murder of 13-year-old Marissa Shen in Vancouver? Why was he here in the first place? But look at this next story from the left-wing pro-Islam Toronto Star. Concerns raised over national security amid refugee screening backlog. I'm amazed the Toronto Star even published this, frankly. Let me quote the story. Thousands of refugee claimants are living in Canada without having been fully cleared by national security according to a report that shows a massive backlog in screenings amid a border crisis that began in 2016. The internal government report shows the number of asylum seekers awaiting clearance had exploded sevenfold between 2016 and 2018. So we're not even talking about Trudeau Syrians here, necessarily. It sounds like these are people who just walked across the border from the United States. Maybe they were about to be deported by Donald Trump? Maybe they just wanted free stuff in Canada, and as you know, Trudeau gives migrants up to 50,000 dollars a year in their first year, and that's on top of all the other levels of government, and their free stuff, from hospitals to schools to food banks. Trudeau himself um, gives each migrant family 50 grand. We've shown you the government documents to back that up. You can go to 50, that's 50,000.ca. that's500.CA. if you want to see those documents again, I recommend you do. Let me read a little more. As of last February, Canada Border Services Agency had 11,745 asylum seekers in the queue for for security assessment. Up from just 1,693 two years earlier, refugee claimants accounted for 41% of the overall security backlog, which also included screenings required for those applying for permanent residence, international students, foreign workers, and visitors. Nearly 12,000 in the security queue. So let's be clear, we, we've let them in already. They're here now, and they're free to go. They're free to wander around. They're not in jail. They're not in a holding facility. They don't have a, you know, a GPS anklet uh, bracelet or anything. They're, they're, they're anywhere. They don't have to report in. They don't have to stay put. Nearly 12,000 people who have not been cleared for security. Just, they're just here. I should remind you that when one of Trudeau's Syrians was arrested on suspicion of terrorism the other day in Kingston... Remember, the the RCMP officer specifically said it took 300 different people from a variety of agencies to catch him. Remember that? I can confirm at this time that the RCMP has required over 300 resources to support this investigation. Investigations of this nature require extensive cooperation and collaboration with our domestic and international partners. He later clarified that he was talking about 300 different people. That's what it took to catch one person arrested on suspicion of terrorism. And we have nearly 12,000 just wandering around. I'm not going to say someone could get killed. Because that already happened to Marissa Shen. And that's just violence. And that's just terrorism. And that's just rape. And that's just radical Islam. And that's just re-victimizing those Yazidi women. That's just murder. But what about other obvious, less acute problems. I don't know if you saw David Menzies' amazing story the other day about huge airplane hangar style temporary refugee camps being set up all around Toronto. They're huge and they're for homeless people, but it's mainly Trudeau's migrants. Canadian homeless people, especially Aboriginal homeless people, they can wait in line behind, behind Trudeau's migrants between, behind the 12,000 security risks, behind the illegal migrants just hopping across the border to collect their 50 grand from Trudeau. David showed you these massive urban refugee camps, but here's some news that's, that's sort of old, as in, we all knew this before. Look at this, city overwhelmed by refugee claimants. This is a story written by our friend Sue Ann Levy, reporting from Toronto City Hall. Let me quote. A briefing note to Monday's Budget Committee says Toronto can no longer accommodate an ongoing influx of refugees wanting to be housed in the city's shelter system. Toronto's shelter system is in immediate danger of being overwhelmed, says the seven-page update from Paul Raftis, General Manager of the city's Shelter Support and Housing Department. I'll read just a little more. Raftis notes, as we've heard before, that an average of 18 new refugee claimants are seeking accommodation in city shelters daily. And from the beginning of last September to the end of the year alone, 2066 irregular migrants have turned up at Toronto shelters. I love that phrase, irregular migrants. I, I just love that. Irregular. Irregular, that's, that's when you have to eat some bran to make your digestion better. Irregular. You know, the actual sign at the border crossing, it doesn't say it is irregular to cross the border. You see that under the word stop. It says it is illegal. We have 2,000 illegal migrants who have pushed aside Canadian homeless people to get to the front of the line for free stuff, including during this recent cold snap. Three news stories, all on the same day, all saying the same thing. Whether it's the Yazidis, whether it's the security clearances, whether it's the homeless shelter, Justin Trudeau's obsession with disproportionately Muslim immigration, for some reason he's obsessed it's a security threat. It's, it's, it's importing ISIS terrorists to our street. That's, that's what those former Yazidi rape slaves say. It's overwhelming our police and security, and it's pushing loyal, honest Canadian citizens out of the way for social services as thousands of illegals just jump to the front of the line. Justin Trudeau and his extremist immigration minister, Ahmed Hassan, call anyone who objects to this a, a bigot or an Islamophobe or, or even a Nazi. That's, that's what is Principal Secretary Gerald Butts says, and the media, especially the CBC and now the bailout media, they'd like to repeat that truth, but it's not true. The reckless ones, the dangerous ones, the unfair ones are not you and me, law-abiding citizens, raising the alarm. It's Justin Trudeau and his wrecking crew. Stay with us for more. Welcome back. Well, did you know that we have a freelance reporter in Caracas, (coughs) Venezuela right now covering the people's uprising against the dictator, Nicolas Maduro? Her name is Annika Rothstein, and she's been doing videos from the heart of the city. Thankfully, she has a bodyguard and even a bulletproof vest with her, although it's a very dangerous place even in that circumstance. I encourage you to go and see all of Annika's videos at rebelvenezuela.com. Dot com And we're covering part of her travel and security costs. If you want to chip in for the crowdfunding, you can do that also at rebelvenezuela.com. Well, one of the things that's interesting to me is how the world has broken down on two sides of the Maduro-Chavez question. America, Brazil under Jair Bolsonaro, and most or many of the world's democracies have sided with the interim president, who, it is their view, is the democratic and constitutional president. His name is Juan Guaido. But countries like Russia, China, Cuba are siding with the tyrant Maduro. And joining us now to talk about this is one of the leading experts on Turkey and Iran and other places like that. No surprise, he's with the Middle East Forum, and you know him as Dr. Daniel Pipes. He joins us now via Skype from Washington. Great to see you again, Dr. Pipes. Great to see you, Ezra. Um, I think a lot of people are surprised to think that Venezuela, a country in Latin America, has such close ties to Iran and to Turkey. Can you explain, I mean, they seem like opposite countries to me, but, but they're connected. Tell us about that.
1: Well, if you're anti-American, that's the side to be on. Now, it's not surprising that Tehran is anti-American. It's been anti-American for 40 years, almost to the day, since the Ayatollah landed. But Turkey is a, as you say, more surprising case. Uh, Turkey is a formal ally of the United States, Canada, and Western European countries. Uh, It is a member of NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. So we are formal allies. But in fact, under Recep Tayyip Erdogan, who's been in power a bit over 15 years, um, they're on the other side. Uh, They have asked to join the Russian Chinese equivalent of nato or sort of equivalent of nato called the shanghai cooperation organization uh they have steadfastly in virtually all their policies in recent years or he i should say erdogan has steadfastly in all his policies over some years now close to a decade uh been always on the opposite sides from the western democracies so this is predictable on the one hand but very strange on the other hand to be getting into bed with such a losing proposition as um Nicolas Madero.
0: Hmm. Now, I I know that some countries have a practical arrangement with Venezuela. Cuba uh, has, in the past, sent effectively mercenaries, soldiers who would have no qualms about putting down Venezuelans, whereas a Venezuelan police officer might see a neighbor or a friend and actually flip sides. We've seen uh, a senior Air Force general switch sides from Maduro to the people. So Cuba is is like an... uh, a special operatives force there. Um, Iran has helped in other ways, too. They've, they've had cooperation for a decade. Does Turkey have anything to offer Venezuela other than moral and political and propaganda support? Is there any way that Turkey can actually boost uh, the tyrant Maduro, or is it just sim-
1: symbolism? You admitted to note that Russia has about $6 billion U.S. dollars uh, indebted to it, and China, more like 60 billion. Oh, thank you for those reminders. Large, large numbers, especially for a rather small country like Venezuela. Uh, No, there's not much, practically speaking, that's taking place between the Republic of Turkey and Venezuela. (laughs) What is so interesting, I read an analysis that said that um, in Turkey, it's not just the government, but its arch foes, the leftist opposition that has joined together in supporting Madero against effectively the united states and the reason they're doing this is because turkey is going through economic travails and there are elections coming up at the end of the next month and so what the leadership is doing both leftist and islamist is saying look we've got problems with the united states that's why we're, our economy is floundering venezuela has got even greater problems with the united states and that's why its problems are even worse than ours so it's a, a collusion it's an electoral gambit it is a very strange and dead-end kind of way of proceeding, but it makes sense logically within the Turkish domestic um, context.
0: Hmm. You know, um, I follow John Bolton, who um, has had many roles in his life. He's, he was a, He was a television pundit for many years. Of course, he's now... Um, doing national security with the Trump administration. He's active on Twitter, and, and he's got some interesting tweets in the last few days, speaking to the world's bankers, speaking to Maduro, saying, don't do business with Venezuela. You'll get in trouble with American sanctions. Don't help him. And he's, he's had some funny tweets. I guess he's taking after his boss, saying to Maduro, you should go away Find a beach somewhere far away from Venezuela and enjoy the rest of your life. So he's uh, he's saying messages that obviously will be read by Maduro's people and passed on to. Them. I mean, it's, it's a funny way of communicating in the year 2019. It is, but so I moderate. think that, I think there really is a possibility. What do you think of this, Dr. Pipes? That maybe Maduro will scoop up a few billion dollars, and him and his family and his cronies and their families will get on a, a plane to Istanbul, which looks like a lovely city. Uh, I'd rather live in Istanbul than Tehran or, or probably even than Moscow. Do you think there's a chance that maybe Maduro could flee with his billions to Turkey and this thing would be ended that way?
1: He doesn't need to scoop them up. He's already got those billions. <laughs> uh, they're, they're at his disposal. It's conceivable. It has happened in the past. There have been uh, potentates who fled. Uh, Right now there's in Saudi Arabia the former ruler of Tunisia for example or some decades past Idi Amin the ruler of Uganda fled again to Saudi Arabia. It does happen. Um, Estoril in Portugal is famous as the place where deposed kings and queens would would live out their days so it's it's possible. Mm. I think the key is the military and the police, the security forces and whether they do flip or not Uh, it looks like they are cracking at this point, um, but uh, the, probably the next few weeks are critical.
0: Uh, huh. Well, it's very interesting, and, and like I say, I was uh, surprised to see a, a familiar face in Caracas, so we had uh, Annika Rothstein agree to do some videos, and, and for those who want to see what it looks like, there's a, there's a terribly depressing video of ordinary Caracas citizens scrounging in a dumpster for food, they're so starving. They're so impoverished. I remember, Dr. Pipes, we had you on a couple months ago to talk about how Venezuela used to be the fourth richest country in the world, measured by GDP, yeah, even yeah. richer than Canada and the United Kingdom. That's I, I'll never get over that. Now they're literally eating out of dumpsters. The average Venezuelan has lost nearly 20 pounds because of malnutrition. It is truly shocking. It's It really is a man-made famine. It, it's terrific, I think. They of bad
1: ideas. No. Yeah.
0: Well, listen, uh, uh, Doctor, I want to switch gears. I appreciate you talking to us about Maduro and Turkey. That'll be interesting if anything comes from it. But uh, I know that you're in Washington because tomorrow uh, the Middle East Forum is hosting a conference on Qatar. Now, Qatar or Qatar, as some people say, it is a tiny little country. It's not, I wouldn't even call it really a country. Most people who live there are not citizens. They're foreign indentured workers. They're oil rich. They're even more natural gas rich. they're strategically located. I know that Canada had some, and the United States it's a military operations base there. But really, I know Qatar as two things. I know them as the sponsors of the poisonous propaganda channel called Al Jazeera. And I know them as the funder of ISIS. Tell me what your conference tomorrow will discuss about a regime I consider odious. Or have I got it all wrong?
1: <laughs> no, you have it. You have it right. As you usually do. Uh I, I like to remember that in the mm-hmm. mid-90s, after the collapse of the Soviet Union, there was a joke going around in Washington political circles: "What are the two great powers now? No longer the Soviet Union, United States, but now it's Qatar and the United States." Mm-hmm. So already, some 20 years, 20 plus years ago, Qatar had these aspirations. that symbolized uh, Al Jazeera. It's symbolized by the base. Edel died in Qatar, which has hosted some 10,000 Americans, not just a few, hmm. ten, it's an enormous base, as symbolized by its funding of all sorts of Islamist groups and so on. Our conference is focused primarily not on the Middle East and the Muslim world, but the West. What Qatari money has done here in the West. The law firms it's bought up, uh, the donations to schools it's given. Let me take that for example. Uh, they've they've encouraged the teaching and learning of Arabic, which is a good thing in itself. But they brought with it a lot of baggage about Islam, about Qatar, um, and it's dubious. It's it's worrisome, and so we'll be exploring um, the impact of Qatar, which, as you say, is tiny three hundred thousand plus three hundred plus thousand um, Qatari subjects, Qatari nationals. Tiny, tiny, tiny could fit into you know a, a part of Toronto, and no one. <laughs> Would You could add it to Toronto, no one would hardly notice. Um, but it's this tiny country with these extraordinary ambitions, due in part to the Wahhabi ideology and part to the uh, personalities of the rulers, both the father and now the son.
0: Well, and obviously you can't do that without money. And the money comes from oil and gas. Obviously, it's a charter member yes. of, uh, of OPEC. And gas OPEC, which is a thing to c- Qatar, is one of the largest... LNG, liquefied natural gas. Yeah. Um, in fact, you know what's interesting, Dr. Pipes, I don't know if you know this, fracking is a debate in Canada, fracking for natural gas. Mm-hmm. And uh, America is fracking like crazy, but in Canada it's a debate. And when there was a protest against fracking in, in a little tiny town called Rexton in um, New Brunswick. Like this is a tiny town, ta- I, I couldn't find it on a map, I'll be honest, I never heard of it before. Al Jazeera sent a team to cover yeah. this anti-fracking protest in Rexton, New Brunswick. Al Jazeera, because they want to suppress alternative sources of natural gas to yeah. themselves, so they they have a hand in our anti-energy propaganda here in Canada. I don't know if you ever heard of that story, but I the the local yeah. rioters specifically mentioned Al Jazeera as their ally against the RCMP, and against even Canadian media. Did you know,
1: have you ever heard of that before? I had not, but let me give you a counter uh, illustration. Uh, the New York Times has 40-some, 40 43, I think, accredited journalists on Capitol Hill in Washington. Al Jazeera has 170-some. Uh, Whoa, 40. that's crazy. So what that's are That's crazy. Doing? <laughs> and, and it's just
0: 300,000 nationals. Of course, they have a lot of foreign workers from India, from even Palestinians. Uh, I don't know if they're still welcome there. They have a lot of, you know, a lot of people who are not even Muslim, who are not, not Arabian, just basically right. servants. It's a basically uh, a royal family, some other nationals, and a bunch of servants. Uh, that's how it seems to me. Um, but you say they're just motivated by this global ambition. It's almost laughable, but they're, I guess they're, they're doing it, so it's not that
1: laughable. They are doing it, and it's not laughable, right? Well, they have ask- extraordinary sense sums- and of ambition and, and imagination. It's
0: incredible. I mean, you got, it's terrifying, but you've got to admire the sheer uh, ambition of it. I, I, I saw recently Republican personalities, like people who I would follow on Twitter for a, a conservative voice, a Republican voice, that they are all gushing about Qatar, and they were all over there for some conference in Doha, which is really the only city there. And I thought, you too? They bought you two. So maybe you can just give us one example. And we're, by the way, sorry, I don't think I mentioned this. On our website tomorrow, the rebel.media, we will have a live stream of your conference. So you guys are having some TV cameras there. We're going to plug that right into the Rebel website. So whatever you guys broadcast, our viewers can watch it for free. They don't have to go to Washington. So so hopefully people who are interested in this subject will, will tune in at least for part of the day. Um, I find it incredible that that these Republicans are just being colonized or patronized, or I don't know what the word, they're being recruited, and they're they're presenting Doha and Qatar as if it's some great futuristic friend.
1: uh, Let me go a step further. Not only conservatives in the United States, but pro-Israel conservatives and not conservatives. Uh, People like Alan Dershowitz, Morton Klein, uh, Mike Huckabee have gone to... Doha, and in some cases received funding, for example, the Zionist Organization of America received $100,000, uh, and came back glowing. Some wonderful things about it. And more importantly, their words were used by the Qatari lobbyists to uh, hinder a bill in the House of Representatives that would have fingered Qatar as a supporter of terrorism because it supports Hamas, it's complicated. Yeah, well, I mean but that's right. It, Hamas oh, it's, leadership it's,
0: it's, is in it's, it's, Qatar, right? And and I think the, I think I heard that the five Taliban that were released to to get uh, Bo Bergdahl, the deserter, back. I think they're in Qatar now too. Is that right. am I? I'm going from memory, so you pr- correct me, professor, if
1: I'm wrong. So far as I know, correct. Right. So far as I know, right.
0: So they're, they're literally the home for the five Taliban terrorists. For the hamas terrorists like it's the we were talking earlier about hideouts for maduro qatar is a hideout for hamas and the taliban and they've supported isis like they're they're collecting all the bad guys and you have even jewish pro-israel guys like alan dershowitz and christian pro-israel guys like mike huckabee saying these are the good guys they must have a big budget
1: they got a big budget it's estimated they spent a billion and a half to try to give dollars to get to the Trump administration. You see, there's this confrontation between Qatar on the one hand, Saudis, Emiratis, and others on the other hand. And in order to win the goodwill of the American administration, they spent, you know, a billion and a half, which is not exactly chump change, but certainly affordable in the Qatari budget. And that's one of the topics we'll be looking at tomorrow.
0: Well, that's incredible. I won't keep you any longer, Dr. Pipes. I'm fascinated, I'm, I'm afraid I can't be there in person at the conference, although I was. I appreciate your, the invitation that I received from the Middle East Forum. But I would say to all our viewers, if they are interested in going deep on this subject and hearing from trusted sources, that is you guys, uh, to tune in tomorrow, that starts, I understand, at 9 a.m. Eastern time. And we will have the live stream as provided to us by you guys at the Middle East Forum. Um, I'm just, I, I just find this fascinating and terrifying. In my book, Groundswell, The Case for Fracking, I show how Iran, Russia, and Qatar are the big three. When it comes to natural gas and i don't know what god was thinking when he was handing out natural gas but he gave it to all the world's bastards what a shame what a shame and that just reminds me how important it is to be energy independent i won't go on dr pipes but this has been fascinating i really appreciate your time today
1: it's there in new brunswick you just got to pull
0: it out yeah yeah all right well thanks uh, very much and good luck at the conference tomorrow Thank you. all right there you have it our friend dr daniel pipes of the middle east forum he's in washington for their conference tomorrow. Like I say, at 9 a.m. Eastern, you can follow that conference through a video feed that they will be connecting to our website. Stay with us. More ahead on The Rebel. Hey, welcome back to my monologue yesterday about Donald Trump banning Canadian goods and services from U.S. government contracts. Teresa writes, I am very surprised that I'm just hearing about this. Well, Teresa, I should tell you, I am very surprised, too. In fact, I, I didn't even want to believe it. When a friend told me this, I thought, come on. Come on, what are you talking about? I, I mean, normally how I work here is I, I see some news, and it gets me going, and I tell you what I think about the news. But in this case, I had to break the news before I could tell you what I think about it, because no one was breaking the news. How do, you, how do you not do that? Donald Trump is the most newsy person on our little planet. He has the biggest megaphone in the world. He has more reporters focused on his every word than anyone else in the world. Canadian media are obsessed with him, especially the left, especially the CBC. And when he actually talks about us, now he didn't use Canada by name yesterday, or on Thursday when he brought in this, but, but who do you think's gonna be affected banning steel? They even, it, Trump actually talked about pipelines. Whose pipelines is he talking about? I simply do not believe that every single journalist, editor, producer, uh, anyone in every single Canadian media simply missed it. I don't believe that. I'm sorry, I don't believe that. Danette writes, this is the type of action Trump promised with Make America Great Again. It shouldn't come as a surprise that Trump managed to keep a promise. The fact that the Canadian mainstream media is silent indicates they haven't grasped the seriousness or... They purposely don't want to raise the specter that this is somehow Trudeau's fault. Yeah, you know that, that I showed you that uh, cover of McLean's magazine with Chrystia Freeland looking like a go girl, you go. Oh, Chrystia Freeland, slam dunk. You put Trump in his place. Smash, girl power. Yeah, you can't really make that claim if months after NAFTA was renegotiated, it's sort of been undone. I mean, if you just banned Canadian companies from all those things I listed, pretty much anything made in a factory, how can you claim that you were successful in out-negotiating Trump? And look, I'm not saying that this could have been stopped. As I showed you yesterday, Barack Obama did it to Canada when Stephen Harper was prime minister. Fine. You can't control what a president does, but you can respond to it. And Harper was all over it and he was strategic and sometimes he was tough and he was smart and Harper took the stinger out. I don't think Justin Trudeau even knows it's happening or if he does, he's hiding under his desk. Robert writes, the Trump administration called Junior that little punk kid running Canada. Do you think anyone is gonna pick up the phone when Trudeau calls? I don't know if they actually called him that, or I don't know if you're uh, paraphrasing or if you're quoting. I actually think that Donald Trump doesn't think that much about Canada. I mean, we obviously think about Canada, and we're like, so, is he talking about us? It's like we're it's like we're a kid in in uh, high school. Oh, is he is he watching me now? Does my hair look pretty? Like we think about us a lot, but I mean, there's still weather maps in the United States on, on TV news that make America look like an island, makes it look like there's an ocean on top. Like they, I don't think they think about Canada at all. And if you think about the big deals that Donald Trump thinks about, well, I'd put China right at the top. I'd put North Korea in there. I'd put Mexico in there. Right now, I'd add is Venezuela in there. I'd probably put Israel, Saudi Arabia, the Middle East in there. I'd put Iran in there. Do you see my point? I've listed almost 10 countries now and each of those has a more critical crisis than Canada. So I don't think Donald Trump thinks about Justin Trudeau. I don't think he obsesses about Justin Trudeau. Um, so I, th- I actually think this was just A, an oversight. And for those who actually drafted it and know what's gonna happen, they don't care because they don't really like christopher Freeland. That was made clear by the American side. Oh, well. I just wish we had a Canadian version of Trump. And by that, I don't mean someone with the braggadocio and the nicknames and the name calling. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking someone who would put Canada first and who, if they're negotiating with our biggest trading partner, wouldn't focus on male feminism or global warmingism or whatever, and would protect our jobs. I predict that we're, we're gonna have the Canadian jobs report for the month of January out this week. That's irrelevant here. I predict that the February jobs numbers, which we'll get in early March, I predict that they will be bad news. I hope I'm wrong, but how could I be with this trade order? Folks, that's the show for today. I wanna tell you, I did a little investigative journalisming uh, over the past few days, and I recommend you go to our, our uh, YouTube page or the, our website. Uh, it's just a little story I just mentioned in passing before I say goodbye. Um, Rachel Notley promised $440 million in loan guarantees to uh, an oil sands upgrader. That sounds pretty good. The company's called Value Creation. Um, I, just, I hadn't heard of that before, and I, I like to follow the oil patch, and you know, I wrote that book called Ethical Oil. So I thought, Value Creation? I haven't heard of that company. Dr. Columba Young is the president. I, I hadn't really heard of that, that guy before. Now I'm in Toronto now. I'm not in the heart of the oil patch. But I thought, I just haven't heard of this company. Uh, and they said, they're going to put in $2 billion from Rachel Notley's given 440 million and construction's already underway. I just thought, I'd never heard of this. And I called some friends in Calgary and they said, they never heard of this. So I started poking around and you know what, <laughs> you know what, you got to see my, you got to see my report. It's a 10 minute video. That company has no operations in Alberta. They, they haven't put a shovel in the ground in 10 years. They're a dormant company. They have no plans for employment at all, despite what Rachel Notley said. And here's the crazy part, the scary part. Rachel Notley just offered them $440 million in loan guarantees. Ten years ago, they defaulted on a $507 million bank loan. Okay, I just told you a two-minute summary of the story. I tell you, you got to go find the video on the rest of our page and watch it. So it's a little really investigative sleuthing I did. All right, I'll let you go. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night, and keep fighting for freedom.